You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today Rebecca Middles is talking with Randy Weiner and James Bailey about their new book, The Daily SEL Leader, a guided journal. Aside from being an author, Randy Weiner co-founded and served as the first chairman of the board at Urban Montessori Charter School in Oakland, California, the nation's first public Montessori, arts integration, and design thinking school. He is also co-founder and the CEO at Brainquake, a two-time U.S. Department of Education Small Business Innovation Award winner. James Bailey's career has encompassed teacher, principal, school turnaround, principal consultant, and superintendent roles spanning across Texas, Colorado, and Wyoming. As superintendent in Wyoming, his district was the first member in the state to join the League of Innovative Schools after reform efforts around personalized learning and social-emotional development. Let's listen in as they discuss the impetus for a daily SEL practice and the importance of educators' self-care and self-efficacy. Randy and James, welcome to the Getting Smart podcast. Congratulations on your book and the thoughtful intention behind that practice and that the book invites. How did you two meet? James, you want to start? Um, yeah, so... Randy and I met um, through probably happenstance more than anything else. Um, we had been uh, attending a lot of meetings through a lot of different organizations and just kept, <clears throat> I just kept seeing this, this uh, guy sitting in his, uh, in his uh, brick kitchen, uh, as we see before us now and thought, man, he's a pretty interesting guy, asks a lot of thoughtful question, kind of challenges things. So um, may want to get to know him. So just uh, kind of reached out and, and uh, we started uh, discussing some things and uh, kind of came up with some ideas that we could work on together and um, had the uh, ability and, and fortune to um, come, up with, come up with this idea for, for the book. And um, uh, I guess you could say that the rest is history. Without, without knowing, I had it on my to-do list to reach out to James in the very week that he reached out to me. Uh, and uh, for, for very similar reasons. I, I was appreciating, uh, one, the different skill sets and areas of expertise uh, that James brought into the conversations that we were both part of, uh, and also just had a sense of, here's someone who seems like um, he really gets things done and is, and is, is thinking big and, and also uh, uh, entrepreneurially, and that that was um, intriguing and of interest. It's that uh, it's that synchronicity thing. I think uh, that came to came to play eventually. Yes. <laughs> Why education? What was your what was your draw to that as a profession? Um, I, I I was raised in a in a family of educators. Uh, my my parents were both educators. My my dad was a uh, started off teaching high school, middle school. Uh, eventually moved into community college, uh, where he eventually retired as a as a president uh, of a community college. My mom was a was a history teacher. Um, she was one of those that um, uh, would on on vacations would always be the one that would pull over to the uh, interesting um, historical uh, plaque to to give us a little bit of a lesson. So uh, it was just sort of. Uh, inbred into me, I guess, that, that uh, knowledge and, and information and learning and things like that were, were very important. Um, started off as, um, as a middle school and high school English teacher myself, 
and just really fell in love with it. Um, uh, working with kids and then really trying to make things uh, better for for um, uh, students in general. So that's that's kind of my um, entry into education. In in my case, um, th this was not part of a plan. Uh, I found myself uh, my senior year in college uh, thinking about my privilege um, and looking for opportunities to try to make a contribution uh, if, if anyone would have me. And this was Teach for America's fourth year. Uh, and so I, I applied, uh, hoping that I would not be accepted. I was terrified. Uh, and uh, I was accepted. And I was, I was placed uh, here in Oakland um, and taught for three years before, before moving to, to teach in Madagascar for a couple of years. But at the end of that third year um, in TFA, Oakland had what I think is still its, its largest, longest teacher strike um, in, in modern history. And it was a moment to all of a sudden reflect. Uh, and while I was crystal clear that I certainly did not have any answers, uh, uh, I felt like I was too deep into it to walk away just yet. Um, and so even though I thought uh, I was going to go in a very different direction, um, I ultimately ended up being swayed by, by the profession and um, have, have, been, have been thrilled to have stuck with it. I am also. Uh, I, I, so interestingly enough, I grew up in an education family and because of that chose not to go in education. Mm. And then similar to you, Randy, wound up, I couldn't resist it. It just kind of came to me. And um, so I appreciate both of those views. And, and uh, thank you for both for sharing that. This book that we're here to talk about, um, it focuses on daily SEL reflection and practice for leaders. Mm -hmm. It also serves as a guide for how school leaders can lead their community in the SEL journey. Um, what I appreciated is that you wrote this book uh, with the ability to take different paths for the user. So in, in a sense, a very personalized approach. Would you mind walking us through these different options and telling us a little bit more about this before we dive into some of the content? Randy, you better, you better take that one, Randy. Okay, I'll take that one. So, so um, one, thanks for the for the question because this is this is so central to, um, I think just our overall philosophy on the on the problem space, and we spent quite a bit of time prototyping the concept before even writing the book proposal um, because we wanted to make sure that we were as informed uh, and clear on the constraints that face school leaders as we possibly could be before putting together uh, a book that we that might otherwise just sit on the shelf due to inaccessibility, right? And so in particular, James and I, I think both feel very strongly that uh, we wish more research were able to penetrate the school day. And we say that not um, with uh, any sort of judgment about school leaders' lives, but a recognition that there simply is not time or there is not enough time created for school leaders to be able to digest and access uh, research in a way that I think we know most school leaders wish they could. And so uh, that came to be true during our prototyping. Um, and we actually got it down to a place where school leaders effectively were telling us anything more than 400 words a day 
you're asking too much, right? And so while that flies in the face of our desire to bring a ton of research to bear, we decided to embrace that as a, as a creative constraint. And that, I think more than anything, really informed the, the different paths, right? Because as, as James says all, all the time, this work is so personal and uh, we wanted to make sure that we as authors weren't coming across in a way that made it sound like we think we have your answer. What we think we have is some insight into how to make this work accessible and approachable more or less no matter where you're coming from. And so that immediately meant that something along the lines of choose your own SEL adventure kind of needed to come to, to bear. And we also couldn't find anything that seemed to provide that kind of option to, to school leaders. And so the paths come in a, four, in a number of ways. One, we've, we've put together six paths that, that from our perspective, we thought would resonate with leaders and they can turn right to and follow a subset of skills um, and just quickly dive into the work. But it's also possible to design your own path, right? And whether that's from front to back or based upon the diagnostic, we again, didn't want to make any assumptions if we could help it around where you need to start, right? And so the paths are meant to say, we understand that we don't understand you necessarily and we want you to take ownership and agency of this journey, so you don't feel like it's some external force that's asking you to follow a particular prescription, and that that's ultimately more engaging and speaks. I know, I know, we want to talk about agency eventually. Speaks to uh, our own belief that this is agentic work, ideally, um, and that's often not the experience that school leaders or teachers or children have in schools. That was what I was going to say, Randy. I, I love the fact that this book opens with agency as options and readiness, but I, I don't know that I called this out also. You also encourage them to do a pre, uh, readers to do a pre-assessment. So it's from the very beginning, those of us that know competency-based and personalized learning, the book is practicing what we are trying to share with users by letting people go through and pre-assess where they're at and then inviting them to do different routes, which I think all of us as readers, probably if we were to be honest with those kinds of books do in our own way, but to be invited with really thoughtful intention and what that could look like, I really appreciated that opening. So just wanted to give some space for that for readers that they know that that's available for the book. So thank you for telling more about that. Yeah, yeah. This led, of course, to daily practice. Um, why does social emotional learning need a daily practice and reflection? So principals' lives are, are very busy. I mean, let's just go to the heart of it here. Um, it, it, it goes without saying that, you know, you, you start the day uh, running, you, you end the day running, um, and you, in a sense, easily lose sight of it, uh, even though probably about 99% of a school leader's job is, is to deal with uh, people, again, whether that's a student, a parent, a, a teacher, a um, cafeteria worker, a custodian, um, your whole life as, as a school leader is, is dealt with these interactions. Um, it's very easy to lose sight of what you're trying to, trying to accomplish. And without uh, intention, without uh, deliberate mm -hmm. practice, um, you're not going to get better at these. Most of us um, enter the, the uh, practice of school leadership with um, a lot of um, sort of advice to, you know, really focus on people, uh, do a lot of 
um, relationship building, those types of things, which I think we all agree to. Mm-hmm. Um, but A, there's, there's very little training for that in, in our principal prep programs. And um, B, once you get into the, into the heart of it, um, you really don't have time to do it. So we talk a lot about um, the, the idea of reflecting upon those things. Because again, if you're not reflecting upon that um, during your day-to-day work, um, you, you, you're going to lose sense of it again. And without some sort of deliberate practice, you're not going to get good at it. I mean, one of the, one of the clear things that we know um, across any endeavor, whether you're teaching, uh, you know, an eight-year-old mathematics or, uh, you know, a 45-year-old how to, how to improve their golf swing, without deliberate practice, um, you're not going to get better at the things that you choose to get better at. And, and most of these skills uh, we find are highly teachable or highly learnable. But again, they need practice. It, it's very difficult just to read about these SEL skills and just say, okay, I have it. I've mastered it. Let's move on um, to something else. They have to be practiced uh, because again, the, the context in which school leaders work um, matter a lot. The way that you communicate with students is different than the way you might communicate with a parent uh, versus the way you communicate with, with a staff member. And so, um, understanding how each of those changes um, is, is really something that, that school leaders need to need to take into consideration. Rebecca, if I can just add, if I can just add to that, you know, I think one of the, 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 the central, one of the central observations we had in writing the book was there, there seems to us to be a disconnect in the idea of thinking that adults who are not supported to develop these skills are somehow going to be able to develop them well in children. And again, that's not meant as criticism of the adults. That's meant to say the system at scale, at least, isn't designed to be supporting leaders and teachers in developing these skills, yet we do expect them to teach these skills. That that feels wrong. And so might we be able to make some small contribution to, to helping leaders do that work better? And we, we, were just, we were just presenting a session related to this work last Friday to Philadelphia charter schools. And there was a principal who attended and we had asked um, the the group to reflect on how accurate their self-perception is and and what sort of evidence they have for that, both within themselves and outside of themselves and where their strengths are and where their weaknesses might be. And the the principal was, was wonderfully vulnerable and transparent and said, to be honest, I'm really uncomfortable spending time thinking about my weaknesses. That's not something that I that I really want to do, right? And we were so appreciative of that honesty because it's a reflection of what we're what we're trying to lay out and make more accessible. Is we totally get it. You're not set up to be okay with that, and we want to just make sure you understand how high the cost of that hesitancy and discomfort is, not just to yourself but to all those you serve and that there's a way to help you through this that can be private and productive and at your own pace and in your own way. I think that also speaks to how society views leadership. I think that's changing and you're a part of this change, but certainly what brought people to a role of leadership is sometimes the very traits that make it hard to be vulnerable because they were brought up in a time where that was, was valued. So 
I know that you guys agree with what you're saying because you have designed a book to be interactive. I mean, that's the piece about um, what the readers will get to see as they get in there is there's actually intentional interaction baked in to this book so that I know you believe in this practice. So I appreciate you calling out why. And James, you also talked about how this looks different for different stakeholders. And so I, I wanna give a little space for that too. In module one, you talk about self-efficacy, and this is related. Um, how does this look different for adults and learners in that scope? Because you talked about the different stakeholders and how that changes things. Could you speak a little bit more about that as well with self-efficacy? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think self-efficacy is, is, a, is a way to think about uh, the beliefs that, you know, we're capable of something again, whether you're, you're eight or 45 or 60 or 70, um, it, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, I think the big difference is adults get much better at covering up their weaknesses. We have much better defense mechanisms, uh, than children do. And so the ability to actually develop efficacy, um, as a school leader, not only in yourself, but in, uh, your teachers, um, I think is a, is a huge thing. I mean, tons and tons of research um, have showed, matter of fact, I, I've, been, I've been doing some other research lately uh, that talks about the, the connection between efficacy and job satisfaction. And there is a huge correlation, not only in the United States, but internationally, that if a teacher believes that he or mm-hmm. she can be good at, as a teacher, um, they usually have much more job satisfaction. And so part of the trick, um, I believe, again, is that leaders, A, need to understand what that means for themselves. But then again, what are the techniques and the tricks that they have to use in order to help their teachers develop that efficacy? Because again, it's one of those things. Um, it's like one of the highest one or two things. Uh, I mean, we look at trust, we look at efficacy, mm-hmm. um, some of those real sort of uh, uh, stable um, emotional uh, affective states that the teachers have and want from schools. Uh, if, if leaders can actually develop those, um, you're going to have a, a, a much different way um, to look at this. Um, there is a lot of research and I'm um, you know, I, I was raised in, in, in the uh, way of thinking that all good principals are instructional leaders, which, which I believe in still. But I think there are other ways. Uh, you look at, look at other researchers like, you know, Kenneth Leithwood and people like that who talk about the impact of the emotional path. Um, and what we've really done is we've reduced that emotional path probably over the last 20 years. And we've seen a ton of unintended consequences from that. Um, you, you know, you look at 40% of teachers leaving the profession within the first five years. Um, you look at a $8 billion yearly attrition. Um, you look at um, surveys that have come recently about teachers wanting to leave the profession uh, after COVID. I mean, it, it, it is starkingly uh, scary, scary to me uh, about what, what's going to happen to our public education system, because I think we may have missed the boat. I, I mean, I really do think we've missed the boat by putting so much pressure and accountability on our, on our uh, schools and teachers. And in a sense, what we have to really think about is how do you make the workplace conditions so inviting to people that that's what they want to do with the rest of their life? And a lot of that, again, stems from what leaders can do um, and do well. How do you make it feel trusted? 
How do you make them feel efficacious uh, when they do have a bad day? How do you help them recover from that so they can actually build resilience uh, around that? Because again, it, it, it's a hard profession. We all know that. Um, and, and teachers are prone to bad days. But again, without that sort of level of support, um, they're, they're going to walk away and, and, and do something different. Just a, just a quick quick uh, note. I mean, there's so much in, in what James just said. Self-efficacy, I find to be not terribly well understood and also um, a potentially really good beachhead for leaders um, to, to latch onto to try to get past the notion that SEL is something extra or separate from academics, right? Where I think James and I would say, we can't conceive of learning taking place where both are not attended to, right? Um, and so if, it, if we think about self-efficacy as one's belief in one's capacity to achieve a goal, goal setting is a very specific SEL skill, but we might just call it a learning skill, right? Um, that is also maybe among the easiest to, to teach, right? That, that, that can be personal, but is I think a little bit more cut and dried in terms of this is what a good goal looks like. These are, these are simple practices to monitor whether or not you're achieving that goal. These are simple practices to revise your goal based upon whether you achieved it or not, as opposed to something like self-awareness or self-perception. That's I think that's a lot messier, relatively speaking. Um, so we just always want to take advantage of any opportunity to try to introduce this notion that if, if folks are thinking about SEL as something extra, as something that's divorced from the core of what it means to learn and develop as a human being, there's, there's some room to explore that in our opinion. Yeah, I mean, a, a long time ago, four, four or 500 years ago in, in the Reformation, Someone said, Let, let's divorce the, the intellect from the emotion, right? Um, those two things should never go hand in hand. And what we're really finding out from a lot of, uh, again, research study, neuroscience, a lot of neuroimaging is that they are a two sides of the same coin, basically, is that you cannot learn without social, uh, e emotional um, understanding. So again, a student who gets frustrated because they don't understand their math is exhibiting an emotional um, aspect to self-efficacy. And only when they learn how to sw uh, switch strategies um, to, to do their math in a different way, does that emotion uh, begin to change uh, toward, toward a better feeling for themselves? So people who say those two things are very separate um, are, are, again, I just think um, very, very misguided and, and they have to go hand in hand. Isn't it interesting that we know this to be true for strong learning to happen in the classroom? We know this to be true for the learners that we serve. It's also true for the adults that we serve as leaders. So I appreciate that you called that out. Um, if we want those, our teachers to be the instructional leaders, if we ourselves want to be instructional leaders, we need that healthy environment. I appreciate that you call out the different types of leaderships and quote some of this research in the beginning when you talk about the different types of leaders. And um, I think that that'll be a really interesting read for readers to catch as well. I'd love to move into module three, which only because it's probably my favorite, but all of them are great. <laughs> but um, the module three piece where you actually talk about empathy work and you cover all of the castle areas and you give mindful attention to trust and relationship building through the work of empathy. 
but I love the time that you take to talk about truly appreciating diversity um, and not just the, the, the buzz terms and really talking about that intention of appreciating. Would you mind sharing some more about that? Uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, I think our experiences, this unfortunately does often only take place at the surface level, right? And again, is another example of if you really want to make inroads here, it's necessary to do this on a daily basis because you, you will you will almost certainly uncover, and I think this is this is this is especially true for white leaders some areas of your practice that you may be uncomfortable trying to improve, right? Or, or acknowledging that they need to be improved. Um, and, and to that end, I think what we're trying to support is your current state, regardless, good, good, bad, indifferent, is much less important than your willingness to engage in being that much better tomorrow than you are today where it's, it's not about the judgment, it's about the action. And so it's inconceivable to think of a school leader who does not lead across some amount of diversity, right? Might be less, might be more, but it's almost certainly not zero. And so to that end, examining who is representing diversity, how is diversity uh, defined in, uh, in your community? How are you reflecting your appreciation for diversity in ways that may not be, uh, that, that are not only meaningful to you, but are actually meaningful to the people whose diversity you are trying to appreciate in the first place? And are there disconnects there? And if so, how can you begin to engage in trying to address that and make that a regular part of a community? Because I think, I think where this ultimately goes is, this one's really about your use of power, right? And how conscious you are of the impact of how you choose to wield your power, even when you might think you're not wielding it. Others probably perceive it otherwise. And so again, if we can make a small contribution to helping leaders not beat themselves up, mm -hmm. but just get into a groove, regardless of where they're coming to this work, of looking at this aspect of their practice on a regular basis, I think that's what we're seeking to, to achieve. I think this is, a, this is a really good example of the way that these um, skills and, and competencies sort of um, overlap real well together. Because again, I think that that you can go in with, with the intent to appreciate diversity, to, to work on this, again, though, without self-awareness uh, about what, what is happening and how you're coming off as a leader. Because again, in a lot of cases, uh, we are trained as leaders to basically always be in charge, always have mm -hmm. the, you know, set the agenda, do these sort of things. And in a lot of cases, that feels like for diverse populations, like we're just being told what to do again. And so um, having those two sort of um, things work, work in tandem uh, is really an, uh, a necessary um, way to, th to think about these skills. So many things come up with this conversation. And, and in terms of, of how we really invite vulnerability by also role modeling it. And what I also hear you guys saying is essentially love. How do you learn to love ourselves, love the work that we're doing and give space for, for, for students to show up and show up as themselves and to feel loved and accepted. So thank you for, for highlighting that. What did you two um, learn in writing this book together? And you can take that where you'd like, but what did you learn from writing this book together? 
Um, so th th this was like our first um, first experiment of, of working together. So I, I, A, I think we learned a lot about each other. Um, I, th I think we learned a lot about what these social emotional skills uh, look like in, in, in a partnership. Um, but I think, but I think ultimately, um, what I think we learned is, is you know, I, I certainly brought the, I think a more research focused in, initially to the book, and Randy brought a much more intentional, um, uh, personalized, interactive mode to the book. And so I think what we probably learn, what I've learned more than anything else, is how do you make uh, research approachable? How do you make it actionable for leaders um, who are extremely busy in, in their day-to-day -day lives? Uh, yeah, I, I was I was thinking something similar. I, mean, I, I had never written a book before. Um, and um, I think maybe because of that, my my design thinking, my designer, designery background. Um, uh, just suggested that you prototype before you do something like a book proposal or create a create a book. And um, as I mentioned at the top, you know, James James has uh, that same sensibility. And so, fortunately, we didn't we didn't end up uh, butting heads over that notion. And I think it was I think it was just so helpful and revealing. And I I think we both feel really confident that if nothing else we can explain why we made the choices we did in the book and that we really weren't making them for ourselves, right? That they're, they're meant to serve the audience that we're trying to serve. Um, and that feels really good. Uh, and I think we would, we would replicate this, this approach for, for the next book um, uh, in order to ensure that we're blending uh, the, the, the depth of research to the degree that we can with with usability in the real world. Otherwise, it, it kind of doesn't matter how, how deep you can go. All right, a little hint about the next book already <laughs> being dropped here. <laughs> I believe that um, I believe that agency is the promise of education that we make to each and every learner as they enter our doors. Um, I wanna thank you for providing a resource to make that a promise we can keep as educational leaders. And by honoring that practice, by giving space and time for all of us to experience that growth and then therefore help lead it. Where can our mm -hmm. listeners find out more about you and this book and maybe even the next book to come? So um, numerous places. Um, our our um, book website is just uh, dailysel.com. Uh, you, can, you can go there, take a look at it. Um, we have our uh, business uh, website is just brasstaxinnovations.com. Uh, you can certainly go there. We are um, in the midst of putting together a network and some courses um, based on the content of the book. So people want a little more involved um, experience with that and some, some coaching involved. We have that um, coming, uh, which will be coming uh, probably within the next couple of weeks. Uh, what else have I missed, Randy? Um, I think we'd just point out, you know, that, that of course you can find Brass Tax on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and the, the daily SEL website um, provides some additional information around the, the network and the courses that, uh, that James is referencing. Um, and and uh, we're really excited about that because it extends 
in, in new ways. It's not a repeat or a rehash of the book at all. The book is a point of departure, but uh, we are really trying to help leaders go, go deeper in some specific areas in order to fully realize the promise of developing these skills for themselves and, and for uh, those whom they serve. Thanks so much to Randy and James for joining us on this week's episode. We'd also like to send a special thank you to Corwin, the publishers of Leading Schools in Disruptive Times, for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to check out one of our other recent episodes with Corwin authors, Debbie Silver or Mark White and Dwight Carter. All right, listeners, that's it for today. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.